0: Okay, as as you come in and find your seats, if we could have all the elders come and stand at the front, all of the elders, and Alan and Julie, if you would come, Uh, we're going to commission Brian and Janet this morning as elders, uh, officially on the elders team. So it's wonderful to have them. So Brian and Janet, you can come. We're going to just take some time to pray. We've gone through a process here uh, with selecting the elders of... of, um, Kind of giving everybody an opportunity to give input into that, especially our small group leaders and those who serve uh, in Newport Church. We said, hey, you know, we are feeling that Brian and Janet would be a good fit for the elders team. What do you guys think? Give feedback into it. And everyone did. Um, overwhelming. Uh, wonderful feedback on you guys, obviously. So, uh, And so it's an honor and a privilege today to officially lay hands on you and commission you as a part of the elders team. So as Newport Church, would you just be willing to stand with us as we pray for them? Because really, this is about uh, them coming onto the team that helps lead, uh, helps Sheree and I lead, and helps lead us as a family uh, together. So uh, it's wonderful to be able to do this with you guys. Would you come here in the middle and we'll just gather around you? and lay hands on you and commission you. So thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. You can just extend your hands towards them. Father, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you have brought Brian and Janet uh, to this place, Lord, again. They've been elders before in the past, but Father, we thank you for this season, God, that you have brought them to in their life. And today, God, we just lay hands on them Father, we commission them by the authority and the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, for the governmental office of eldership in Newport Church. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word in them, your good word in them. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit upon them and in them. We thank you for wisdom and wise counsel and prophetic insight in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for new gifts even to be stirred. Father, just another double portion of anointing upon their lives in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that they are spiritual parents to many who sit here. Father, we thank you, Lord, that they have sowed faithfully and served faithfully, Father. And so today we honor you in them. And, Father, we place our hands upon them and we commission them to run with us in this season in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Anyone else come pray? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus, I just um, see both of them uh, as uh, as ones that you have given as eyes that see. and They're going to be able to see uh, and impart things to us as an eldership team and to the direction of us as a church. Um, I just pray you grace them with that um, and that they would just walk in the, the, the anointing to see, to see what is and what is to come. Um, yes, I just see that on their lives and uh, pray for this the, the grace, the freedom to share, release the anointing that is within them to be a blessing to us as a, as a church. I pray this in your name. Yes, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen! Awesome! Congratulations, guys! Let's give them a hand. (laughs) Awesome! Bless you. Amen. Exciting things, exciting times. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 103, uh, verses 1 to 5 is where we're going to start this morning. My name is Merle Shank, one of the pastors here at Newport Church, and. I look forward, as I have my entire life, to December. And I'll explain why in a second. But Psalms 103, chapter 103, verses 1 to 5, says this. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. As Christmas is fast approaching uh, here, um, there is an open invitation, I believe, from heaven to stand in all of a child, to stand in all of what Jesus' birth really means for us and for the world at large, to choose to place ourselves in a posture of all. Now, this morning, uh, we're not going to be flipping through any sli- any slides on the screen, so you have to use the Bible that is either on your phone or in your hand as a real book if you still believe in a hardbound Bible, right, in a paper copy, okay? So, Uh, But I believe that there's this invitation to stand in the all of Jesus and really to come back to, you know, um, sometimes people ask me like, oh, how can I get closer to God? And, And I think, you know, really the one aspect of getting closer to God and feeling closer to God is a realization and really looking at what he has done to be close to us. Because, and that kind of takes it out of the realm of like my achievement or my ambition or my, what I can do to come close to God. And it brings it into the place of like, you know what? Man, this is what he has done to draw near to us, to draw near to me. And having a revelation of everything that Jesus has done, to everything he's given up to draw near to us, is one of the foundations and bedrocks of us understanding his desire to be close to us. And then it's just about, like, surrender. It's about coming to a place of saying, okay, God, wow, that's amazing. And so as we are in this Christmas season, and we're ramping up towards Christmas there's this invitation to come and really look again at what Jesus has done and what the birth of Christ really means for us and for the world and to come into the place where we again stand in the awe of a child. So when we celebrate Christmas, what is it that we're actually celebrating? What is it that we're actually like taking time out of our day to celebrate? And there's a few things I want to talk about here this morning that what you know what we are actually celebrating when we're celebrating Christmas one is we're celebrating freedom two we're celebrating the supernatural power of God three we are celebrating the prophetic voice of God revealed through generations and through hundreds of years and decades and millennia we're celebrating God's prophetic voice we're celebrating for that God has a plan tell your neighbor say God has a plan Yeah, he's not just winging it, (laughs) okay? He has a plan. We are celebrating God's presence with us as Emmanuel, his continual abiding presence, and of course, we are celebrating salvation. the plan of of salvation that God has. So December was always a month that I look forward to as a child because both it was the month of my birthday and Christmas, which if anyone else who has a birthday in December, you realize that that's like uh, both a blessing and sometimes a challenge where, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, this gift is for you, it's for your birthday and Christmas, right? And and though, you know, the same amount of money was spent, you kinda can kind of feel slighted. But I always looked forward to Christmas as a child. I always looked forward to that time because it was a time of celebration. And I remember the magic and the wonder that I felt on Christmas morning, especially if it snowed. You know, like, wow. I, I remember there was one Christmas that went to bed, not expecting it to snow. And, I mean, maybe I just didn't know, you know, uh, <laughs> I was pretty young. And then that morning, I, the next morning, I woke up on Christmas morning and I looked outside and there was like two inches of snow. And I was like, No way! It has snowed on Christmas. Ran down, memories of running down the steps into the living room where the gifts were piled high, you know, placed underneath the tree and standing in awe of all the presents and especially the big box. Anyone else ever stand in awe of the big box? Like, I'm sure that big box is mine. And, <laughs> uh, one year, it actually was for me, and there was a sled in it, and I was taken outside in my pajamas and placed in that sled and pushed down the hill by some people sitting in this room. So <laughs> I did not have a fun walk up the hill in my bare feet. In the snow, no. It was wonderful. Uh, you know, those, those are the wonderful memories, you know, of, of, of Christmas, the things that I love and enjoy and the sheer excitement of celebration of the day. And now as a father uh, witnessing my own children just celebrating and loving uh, the time uh, of Christmas as we come into this time. And last week, Alan preached about, you know, have you lost your wonder? Have, have we lost our wonder in our fast-paced society of, you know, a lot of busy things and, you know, there's added holiday stress and all those things. And the challenge was to not lose our wonder. And I actually didn't know he was going to preach about that. And I'd already, you know, felt like the Lord was telling me about, you know, s- preaching about standing, standing in awe standing in awe of a child. So just like a hand in glove, it's wonderful to see those messages kind of come together. And so, uh, you know, when we, when we look at what we're celebrating in Christmas, let's, let's really look at those things that I mentioned before. Number one, celebrating freedom. That when, you know, the, the, the very fact that you can celebrate is a statement of proof that you are free. The very fact that you can celebrate anything is a statement of fact that you are indeed free. In fact, you know, that's that's why God commanded the Israelites in, in many different verses. He says, remember that it is I who brought you out of Egypt. And then he says, remember the Sabbath day. And he's commanding them to celebrate the Sabbath day because only free people can take a day off. Only free people can take a day where they choose to step back from their work and to celebrate things that God does. And so the very fact that we are celebrating is in fact a statement of proof that we are free. The interesting thing is that when we choose not to celebrate, we are actually putting ourselves back in bondage just like the children of Israel were slaves to Egypt, we might come back in bondage to slaves to finances or slaves to our job. You know, the whole, the whole idea of celebration of the Sabbath really is to say like, God, you are God, and I trust that you are going to take care of this when I'm not looking at it. And I'm going to take a day to step back and celebrate you. And really, Christmas is kind of like that too. So the very fact Uh, that we can celebrate is really a statement of proof and it's a declaration of our freedom in Christ to say, I am free because I choose to stop work, I choose to take time and focus off of everything that I normally do and put it on what God has done. And so De- Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, we see this where God says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, in other words, because of this, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. There is a place of saying, I choose to celebrate. Amen. The next thing that we're celebrating when we're celebrating Christmas is we're celebrating the supernatural power of God. We're celebrating the virgin birth, that God who created the human body has the power to alter it outside of its normal course, outside of its normal course of progression. God, the one who does creative miracles, as Romans chapter 4, verse 17 says this about God, talking about Abraham, it says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Another translation says, calls things that are not as though they are. So that is the power of God. And when we are celebrating Christmas, when we take time to celebrate Christmas, we're really celebrating the supernatural power of God, the supernatural ability of God to step into time, to step into our lives and change things and shift things. Even as Alan was preaching about, you know, God dwelling outside of time, steps into time. You know, that that's, that's one of the reasons why I believe we can see things that God has promised for future generations uh, manifest in our day. Because when we are pressing into God, we are pressing into a being who exists outside of the confines of time. And so in his mind, in his world, in God's world, it is yes and amen. It is already done. That's why the Bible says that Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the world. There's this place in God where it's already done where his will is already done. And so as we worship him and walk with him and we press in in relationship with him, we actually can, like David, almost, uh, for lack of better terms, like tap into God's future plans and promises for our lives. That's why David could go into the, into the tabernacle and eat the showbread when he wasn't a priest yet. Like he wasn't a priest. He, he, he went in and he ate the showbread. He, he did things that were beyond, that were outside of him because this is what God had planned for the generations in the future. Like his whole, his whole understanding of repentance and forgiveness coming by repenting and coming by laying our hearts out before the Lord. That's a New Testament concept. In the Old Testament, David, you know, who lived in the Old Testament, that, how you got your sins forgiven was you brought an ox, or you brought a lamb, or you brought a dove. There were certain things that you brought to sacrifice The idea of repentance, that was a New Testament principle. But because it was in God already, because in God there is no time, there's no dispensation of time, Dave was actually able to receive from the future the blessings of the Lord. That blows my mind. I don't understand how it all works. I just know it's true. Yeah? And so when we are celebrating Christmas, we're actually celebrating the supernatural power of God that works outside of our own abilities to understand. That's what we're celebrating when we're celebrating Christmas. Another thing that we're celebrating when we're talking about Christmas is that we're celebrating the prophetic. You know, most most of this is actually prophetic. Most of the Bible is prophetic. And so... What we're doing is we're celebrating the fact that God declares words through prophets and that those words come true. Jesus, in his birth, in his life, and in his death and resurrection, fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Over 300. The probability... As reported by mathematicians, the probability of this is staggering. If one person only fulfilled eight prophecies, one person fulfilling only eight Old Testament prophecies, <laughs> the the um, the probability of that happening would be one in one hundred billion just to fulfill eight. The probability of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies would be one chance to one in 10 to the 157th power. Just 48, okay? The probability of one person fulfilling 300 prophecies, only God, okay? Only God. Because, listen, that's the probability. And, listen, even, like, even the contradicting prophecies. So he's going to be born in Bethlehem, but from Jude- uh, Galilee, but come from Egypt. I mean, come on. I- I'm sure that that messed with some Jewish like, prophetic historians before it happened. You know, like, wait a second. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. No, he's, suppo- he's coming from Galilee. No, 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 you know, we have prophecies that he's coming out of Egypt. Like, like those, they seem to be contradicting. So don't, <laughs> what that says to me is don't be afraid or intimidated by seemingly contradicting prophetic words. Come on. Because God, you know, you'll know it's God when it comes to pass. Amen? Wow. And so Jesus' birth was prophesied about by Isaiah over 800 years or around 800 years before it was fulfilled. And we see in the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so Isaiah 7 and Isaiah chapter 9 both talk about the virgin birth. You realize that over 800 years, ago, that would be the equivalent of somebody prophesying in the year of 1220, Not 1920, 1220, about something that happens today. Think about the societal advancements in the last 800 years. Now, okay, maybe it wasn't that, you know, maybe there wasn't that many advancements in the 800 years between Isaiah and Matthew. But still, the fact that the words of somebody in 1220 being relevant and accurate to today is astounding, okay? That's, that would be what that's like for Jesus fulfilling in the New Testament what Isaiah prophesied about and a lot of the other Old Testament prophets, all right? And so, you know, in the idea of seemingly contradictory prophetic words all lining up with accuracy and perfection in Christ just blows my mind, and maybe my mind is easily blown, but like, okay. So when we're celebrating Christmas, what else are we celebrating? We're celebrating that God has a plan, that he has this overarching plan that overarches all the chaos of the world, overarches all the chaos of like the world full of sin, that no matter what is happening there, God has this overarching plan that will be fulfilled. How do we see that? We see that, you know, uh, we see that in Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to go there in just a second, but when we're celebrating God's plan, we're celebrating, number one, that he's not just winging it, he's not just like taking it and playing it as it comes, that he is fulfilling something very intentionally ahead of time. We're celebrating God's plan of redemption that lies outside of Satan's uh, ability to stop it. Let me say that again. We're celebrating that God's plan for redemption lies outside of the scope of Satan's ability to stop it. Man, God's plan lies outside of Satan's ability to stop it. And that's true for your life. That's true for my life. You know, a friend of mine says, he says, you know, God has the ability to, play, to be playing chess on like 100,000 different chessboards and winning every game. You know, like God already had a plan. We see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he's dealing with Eve, when Eve sinned and he comes in and he, he curses the serpent and he says, listen, you, you will bruise the, the seed of the woman, you will bruise his head or his heel but he will crush your head. That the seed of the woman was gonna crush Satan's head. Way back, you know, when, uh, when, when Eve sinned, God already had the plan. He already had the plan. It's like, you know, I, I heard Dale Mass say this, and it's, it's like this, where like Peter Jesus tells Peter, you're gonna deny me three times and, and Peter comes and says, I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, I've already prayed for you. <laughs> like he's already past that. Like, like he already knew he was gonna deny him and he already knew that he already prayed for him for when he would be restored. Like Jesus already knew that. He was already, he was already in the future seeing it. And that's kind of how it is with uh, his plan for salvation and his plan to see Christ come. And the amazing thing is that God used the most vulnerable strategy against the most wicked force. God used the most vulnerable strategy and outsmarted the most wicked force. That's amazing to me. In Isaiah chapter 9, let's go there. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to start reading in verse 2. Turn with me if you have uh, your Bible's with you. So we see that God references his plan back in Genesis 3, verse 15, uh, when he's talking and he says to the sa- uh, to the serpent that the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. Isaiah chapter 9, we see this in verse 2. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse 3. You have multiplied a nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy of the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Verse 4, For the yoke of his burden is broken. Sorry, the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor have been broken as on the day of Midian. Now, the day of Midian is a reference to Gideon. It just happens that they rhyme. (laughs) Okay, so it's really easy to remember. The day of Midian is a reference to Gideon, where Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 7, the the Midianites were just overrunning the children of Israel. They couldn't grow crops. They couldn't harvest their grain. They couldn't harvest anything that they would grow because as soon as it would grow, as soon as there would be be anything ready in their fields, as soon as their calves, you know, um, in the calving season, in the lambing season, as soon as their uh, livestock would give birth, the Midianites would just come through and wipe Them out and take everything from them, and they did this year after year after year. They were being overrun, and so you see the angel of the Lord visits Gideon in the wine press in Judges chapter 6 and says, You know, you are a mighty man of valor. And there's this whole dialogue that happens. And uh, what, but what basically winds up happening, I'm gonna really just shorten this, is there is 32,000 soldiers that come and says, we're going to fight behind Gideon. And God says, no, 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 that's too much. Because if you win with 32,000, it's going to be like you're going to think you did a good thing. And so they, God takes them through this, like, this weaning process where, or not weaning process, what is that? Winnowing, winnowing process, there we go. Uh, where just kind of takes it down, thank you, weaning is like when you're weaning a child. I don't know where that came from blessed to all those who are weaning children, in Jesus' name. <laughs> uh, you know, God takes them through this process where 20, uh, 23,000 people go, and then the next, and basically whittles it down to 300 people. 300 people to take on an army of 132,000. That's how big the Midianite army was that was encamped against them. Again, and this is what this is referencing in Isaiah chapter 9, that God is going to use the most vulnerable strategy to defeat the enemy. That God can do more with his little finger than Satan can with the hordes of hell. Isn't that amazing? Like, that's what we're celebrating when we celebrate Christmas, that God in, into the world full of chaos and, and, and full of sin and, and where Satan has overrun and been overrunning people and been overrunning the children of Israel. I mean, just in the natural, the children of Israel were being dominated by the Roman uh, military. They were being dominated by uh, you know, the Roman centurions and, and the, the military that was inhabited in their lands. And, and Isaiah, you know he prophesies about the political climate that Jesus is gonna come into. And he, he you know... <laughs> He comes in the most vulnerable form that any person could ever come. Isn't that amazing? Like if he came in power, it would be like a power struggle between God and Satan. God's like, oh no, we don't need to do that. Like, we got this. If you're going through battles in your life, battles in your faith, battles in your family, I wanna tell you today that God has got this. God has got this, and he can do more with his little finger with you and with your heart of devotion, just like we read about in Psalms 103, bless the Lord, oh my soul, with my whole heart, bless his holiness, forget not all of his benefits. Sometimes it's easy to forget, you know, he can do more with his little finger in your heart of devotion than the enemy can do against you, Amen. I don't know, that was for somebody here. Isaiah chapter 9 continues to go on, you know, and so we see that God uses the most vulnerable strategy, 300 men against the, the, the over 100,000 Midianite soldiers, and God brings victory. Isaiah 9, verse 5, For every boot of the trampling warrior in the, in the battle turmoil and every garment rolled in blood will be burned for fuel fire. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. So we see the Isaiah prophesying about the political climate of when Jesus would be born, that it would be similar to the climate of when uh, Gideon was functioning. And Gideon goes through this whole, this whole thing of like, I'm the youngest of my family. My family's, or my clan is the smallest of our tribe. Like there's nothing. And, and God's like, I, I, no worries. I, I can use that. You know, I can use that. And so, you know, you see this whole thing that in Satan, the amazing thing is that Satan never understood God's plan. He never understood God's plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 8 says that none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So they understood who Jesus was, but they thought they were winning a victory in crucifying him. And really they were just playing into God's hand. That's what we're celebrating when we celebrate Christmas. Another thing that we're celebrating when we celebrate Christmas is we're celebrating God as Emmanuel, his continual abiding presence. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 4. He says, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that which bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus has brought the Holy Spirit, has sent the Holy Spirit from the Father to you and I, his ever-abiding presence. We're celebrating the fact that no matter what you're going through, (laughs) no matter if you're eating Christmas spam or Christmas ham, you know, like... No matter what you're going through, God's presence is with you. Amen? That his ever-abiding presence. There's this place of saying, God, I have enough because I have you. I have enough because I have you. We're celebrating that God. I, I love the fact that, that Jesus was born into a stable. And, and what that tells you, I mean, have you ever been in a stable? You know what's in a stable? You know what in particular is in a stable that makes it smell like a stable? all right? And to me, that just says that God is not afraid to step into our mess. Like, he's not afraid to be Emmanuel and just step in to the messy places of our lives, the, the, the areas that need sorted out, that need his order, that need his government. He is not afraid to step into our mess. He's, he's, that's, that's not like a challenge for him. That's not a challenge, and it signifies his heart. God is not a afraid to interject himself into the life of sinful people and bring his holiness. He is not afraid of my worst mistakes. He's not afraid of your worst mistakes. In fact, that's why he came. That's why he came. Amen. Man, that's what we're celebrating when we can humble ourselves and say, man, it, you know, there's nothing that God has given me that I deserve. It's all his grace. It's all his favorites. It's all because of his goodness, not my goodness. Amen. And so I can imagine what it was like to stand around the manger that night with all the animals there, Joseph and Mary. And probably, I mean, I know we have this idealized picture of, like, Joseph and Mary being destitute and all alone. You know, the Bible doesn't say that. I mean, they were going to Joseph's hometown, and Joseph's family was probably all there. So standing around Mary was probably all of Joseph's family as well as the shepherds. It says there was no room, for, yeah, I don't wanna, okay. <laughs> don't wanna destroy the nativities. <laughs> it says there was no room for them in the inn. That word inn is the same as like the upper room when Jesus met with his disciples and there was two story houses and the top was the upper room that's where you would meet together as a family and the bottom is where you kept all the animals so there was no room for them in the inn in the upper room and so they had to be down in the stable anyway there's no children here so i can say that right <laughs> the, there, yeah and so you know the 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 fact that We think, oh, that Mary and Joseph were somehow alone, destitute, out by themselves is is actually probably just, it's probably not true. I mean, it's a could be, but it's probably not true in the fact that, I mean, if you know Eastern culture, like, you cram into the house. It doesn't matter if there's room or not, you're there. You know, like, come, everyone, you're part of the family, come on, you know? And so Jesus was born into that environment. Jesus was born into a loving environment, a family around him, probably and of animals around him, and animal poop around him as well. You know, and the shepherds come, and they are high off like an angelic visitation. Like the, the sky just exploded for them. And so there's this realization that God is doing something. We don't know what, but God is doing something. Like this is crazy. This is amazing that God is doing something. And that's what we celebrate when we're celebrating Christmas is that God who steps into our lives, who steps into our messes, who's not afraid to step into our messes, he's doing something. And we might not always know what it is, but he is busy. You know that song that we sing that even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. So if, I I would love that this message would encourage somebody and say, you know, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're up against, but I know that God, who is the one who is able to make all things work together for our good, the one who is able to be with us in the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the one who is able to cause his plan from thousands of years to come to pass no matter what the enemy tries to do to stop it, he is the one who is with us in this season. And he is the one who we are celebrating in this season. And he invites us to come like the family and the shepherds and the animals, I guess, and stand in awe of a child born in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. The joy of heaven, God's perfect plan of redemption. The Bible talks about receiving Jesus as a child. So this is a play on words. You see what I did there? Standing in the awe of a child, where we stand in awe of a child, but also we need to position ourselves and posture ourselves that we stand in the awe of a child. And we don't forget what it means to be childlike, to come to him, and to trust him, Luke 18, verse 17 says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We can be really heady, especially here you know, in the West. We can be really heady. And that's, you know, hey, I'm not saying that we check our brains at the door, but we, there is some things that are just above our pay, pay grade to know. And we gotta be okay with that. We gotta be okay with that and say, okay, God, I'm coming to you as a child. In fact, uh, one of the Dale Mess said that I really like, he says, if you need to know all the details of what God is doing, it actually betrays the fact that you don't really trust him. So there's an invitation from heaven, I believe, in this Christmas season to stand in all of Jesus as a child in simple trust and faith in God's work in our lives. Psalms 37 says this, Psalms 37 verses 1 to 8, and we're going to wrap up with this so the worship team, you can please come. Psalms 37 verses 1 to 8 says this, it says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and withers the green herb, but trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on his Faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. And He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger. And forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. So there's this place where there's the invitation of God to come as a child and say, God, today I'm going to trust you. Today I'm going to give you the reins of my life. Today I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to do good. I'm going to do the good thing that's in front of me. I'm going to dwell in the land. And I'm gonna feed on your faithfulness. There was a time in our lives where we didn't have a lot of money and, and um, God took me to this verse. And I said, God, it's hard. But if we don't have anything else to eat, we're gonna feed on your faithfulness. And we're gonna stay the course and we're gonna feed on your faithfulness, God. And that sustained us in that time. It goes on and says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. He will bring it to pass. If, you know, if anything else, when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating God's ability to bring his plans to pass. <laughs> Come on. We're celebrating God's ability, God's power to bring his plans to pass. The fact that the, the enemy cannot frustrate it to the point where it doesn't happen. Amen. We just gotta be able to, to, to run with God in this and say, God, hey, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm yours. I'm yours. And so there's an invitation in the coming of standing in awe of a child for this Christmas season say, God, I trust you again. I trust you again. I'm yours. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ or you're watching online and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and it's been a real hurdle for you to lay down your own will, your own mind and and say, like, God, I I don't understand it, but I trust you. That's been a real hurdle for you. There's an invitation from God for you today to come and lay your life down in his hands. Said, God, I don't know how it's gonna work out, but I know that you're good, and I know that I can trust you. Can we stand together this morning? So this Christmas, as Psalms 37 invites us here in verses one through eight, that... It invites us to stop, to pause. You know, we talked about celebrating and only free people can celebrate. Stop, take time to pause and to consider. Take time to listen to his voice, his voice through his word, his voice through other people, his voice in times of prayer. Take time to listen. So stop, pause, listen, and then stand in awe. And really, that's the foundation of worship. Is that we stand in all of Him saying, God, you're greater than I. You're greater than I even understand. You're greater than I even understand. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I just want to share the gospel very briefly. Basically, the gospel is this that God created the world, he created everything in the world, and it was good worked together seamlessly and beautifully, work together in purpose and destiny that he created and mankind was created in his image. Mankind served in purpose and destiny, Adam and Eve. And then one day, Satan led a rebellion against God. The Bible says that pride was found in Satan's heart. You know, maybe that's why God chooses humility to conquer Satan. you know, The 300 of Gideon's army, the, the little baby in a manger, the humility of that, to conquer this being who was full of pride. It's amazing. The gospel is this, that Satan led a rebellion against God who reigned over everything. And mankind chose to obey Satan was deceived and chose to obey Satan. Because of that, sin entered the world. Sin entered the world and death entered the world. But God didn't want to leave it that way. Through various times and through various people, he prophesies about he's going to come and he's going to bring a way of redemption, a way to have relationship back with him again. And he sent Jesus as a baby in a manger, grew up for 33 years and then paid the price on the cross for all sin for your sin for my sin because none of us can be good enough the Bible says that anything that we try our righteousness is as filthy rags Jesus paid the price for my sin for your sin to bring us back into relationship with God the Father Bring us back into relationship with the one who knows who we are, the one who knows why we exist, the the one who knows why we are on this earth. And he gives us his spirit. But we must make him king. Just as he was reigning in the beginning, we must allow him to reign over us today. And it's in that laying down of our lives and saying, God, I lay down my life and I receive your life. I lay down my Best attempts, and I receive your perfect, fulfilled attempt. That we are restored in relationship with our heavenly Father again. We're restored to the One who knows who we are and why we exist, and what it is that we're called to do. So, if you're here and you are just really feel depressed press on this, you know, uh, or if you're watching online. And you've never given your life to Jesus, we're gonna have prayer ministers up here, and we would love to pray with you. We would love to just lead you in a prayer of coming back to the Heavenly Father, coming back to your Heavenly Father. Maybe you're here, and you re- recognize that you've drifted. You know, the thing about drifting is we don't always know we're doing it until all of a sudden we're confronted by something in our lives that lets us know, like, oh my goodness, I've drifted. Maybe today is a time to say, God, I want to come back to you. God, I want to come back to you. I trust your overarching plan for my life. Let's pray and then we'll worship. If if you want to come and respond to any of that or any other reason that you would like prayer, we would love to pray for you up front here. Uh, at the end when as the worship team gets ready to lead us. So Father, we come. God, we thank you that we have freedom. We thank you that we can celebrate. God, we thank you that we can trust your plan. We thank you that we can look at all that you have done and stand amazed, God, at your brilliance. Stand amazed at your power. Stand amazed at all that you have done and your heart for us. And Father, this Christmas season, we thank you that we can come to you And we can celebrate with our family and friends. And Father, we can come and celebrate with you most of all. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. The last thing I just feel impressed to say is that don't miss what Jesus has come to give us. So in this season of standing in awe of, you know, a baby in a manger and all of these things, don't miss the very fact, you know, the the real way to celebrate that is to live out everything that Jesus has come to bring us. Amen. Amen. So God bless you. Have a powerful week. Turn over to the worship team. bless you as you go this week, as you prepare for celebration Uh, for some of you who have your Christmas shopping done. Amen. God bless you. For those of you who haven't started yet, you probably should start soon. All right. And God bless you. Have a powerful week and we'll see you next Sunday.